Hey guys, it's me, Dara, back with another episode of Late Do You Remember This? And I'm here with a very special guest. Um, her name is Molly McAleer. She is a writer and she is the founder of Solid Listen Podcast Network. But perhaps more importantly, she is the founder of Troy McKeady, friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I twice mom is his founder, but I have to say, like, yeah, no, one of the greatest thrills of my professional career. And I did this when I started Hello Giggles as well. Like I had to find a bunch of people to sort of program the website. And I went to all of my like friends and I helped them figure out what they were really good at talking about and help them find columns. Um, and without even really attempting to assemble a podcast network, I turned to Troy McEady and Liz Bentley, who is also a host of um, a show called Feathers in My Hair on the network. And she talks a lot about Teen Mom, but I met both of them through Snapchat. They were just people that started snapping me videos, um, like them responding to me, but also in video form. And the two of them, out of like the random people you talk to, Snapchat on when you have like a small following, um, they were just people that immediately became like, oh, I have to talk about this. So I'm going to snap so-and-so. And Liz and Troy were like my two, they became like kind of instant, very good friends via Snapchat. And Troy in particular, I mean, it's, it's difficult to like distinguish because I don't want it to ever sound that I don't feel very similarly about both of them. But Troy felt like a mixture between my son and my twin and my soulmate. Like he really, um, that relationship that we share, that he shares with so many people, everyone feels like they've known Troy their whole life. And it's just like kind of crazy that he was like a, you know, he didn't, people are always like, oh, you were a fan of his Snapchat. And I'm like, frankly, no, like I didn't know him. He reached out to me and then I, became a fan of him but that's you know it was like a very chance encounter and he didn't have like a huge following when I when I quote unquote found him or discovered him and um you know it's just like such a pleasure like I have always thought like oh you know Molly you're a creator like you're not that I'm the star of my own world, but you know, like I've always felt like it was very important to like get my voice and myself out there. And one of the greatest surprising joys of my career has been giving a platform to people I think are, are worthy and like helping them find the tools that they need to like thrive and survive and continue on into this world. And he's just, um, he's everything. Like I love, uh, Troy's the best. So I always feel like I'm in good hands if someone knows Troy. I mean, I just think that Troy is um, a star, quite frankly. Star, yes. <laughs> well, like, that's the thing is like, when you see that star power, how can you not be drawn to it? And like, first of all, I should say, also acknowledge that everything I say always sounds sarcastic just because of my <laughs> cadence. But like, honestly, like, you know, Troy and, I are, Troy and I are snapping away and I'm like, why isn't this guy famous? 
And so he really is truly like, it's all on him. He's a star. He has that sort of um, like A-list celebrity type energy where like you have the lower tier celebs where you might meet them and you're like, this person sucks. But then you meet the A-list, the Tom Cruises, and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm the only person in the room when they're talking to me. And Troy, I was like, wow, I feel like I've known him my whole life. He is the best. And I have to be like, everyone probably feels that way when they when they converse with him in any capacity. Well, I will argue this. And like, I, I hope, I think Troy will like this. But like, Troy actually, instead of A-list celebrity energy to me, has like that perfect C-list celebrity energy to me. <laughs> Where you go to the party and you're at the bar and like the, you know, sort of Kathy Griffin in the room comes yes. up to you and you're like, wow, I didn't expect to like walk away from this tonight feeling like I just had an amazing conversation with this person who, you know, I know who they are, but I never expected us to be close. And here we are, we're having this conversation. I feel like I went to high school with them. Like I can put myself in my brain to like smoking a joint with them in the basement <laughs> after, you know, after class and college, like you right away are taken on such a, a unique ride with him in terms of how warm he makes you feel. And there's things that I admire about talent in general. And I feel like Troy has that unique ability to really make you feel super comfortable. Um, and not just like special, but like very like come as you are. And that is a great feeling. Like he does a really good job of being honest and self-deprecating and, but still like you revere him. And I think that's really what's so, I don't know. I think do you want to do this podcast about Troy? Like I know we set out to do, <laughs> I know we set out to do something different, but if you want to just talk about Troy for an hour, I could do that too. I mean, I could go all day, truly. Um, but well, everyone listen to his podcast, Dunzo podcast, the Dun, the Dunzo, Dunzo. Just look up Dunzo in the yeah. podcast store, but if you want to find him on Instagram, it's Dunzo podcast. Okay. But- if you just look up Dunzo with Troy McGeady or just even Dunzo, you'll find him. And I mean, this is a perfect segue because Troy and I, um, last season of my podcast, discussed Ashley Simpson. And today, Molly and I will be discussing the other sister, Miss Jessica. Miss Jessica. You know, okay, obviously, speaking of Troy... Uh, <laughs> We um, did the Ashley Simpson show as a breakdown. I think that's like only available on our Patreon now with where Troy also uploads bonus material, not plugging my Patreon at the top of your (laughs) podcast, but like also just letting you know, Troy and I did a, like a breakdown of the Ashley Simpson show where we talked about each episode for like 90 minutes. And um, it's on solidlisten or patreon.com slash solidlisten, or you can go, just go to solidlisten.com um, and find that stuff. But like, you know, the Simpson family is something that I guess while it was all happening, I knew that Jessica would be famous for good, but I, I don't think we could have ever predicted 
the world that we would be in today and that Jessica Simpson was still famous because she was part of the 2006 era where things were really popping off with Kitson, Lisa Klein, you're on Robertson Boulevard, you Mm. know, she, I would say spearheaded the city of Calabasas, like just really killed it. She really did. I mean, so I will say personally, if I look back on that time, I was definitely more of an Ashley girl. Um, I think maybe just Ashley's music was more my speed than Jessica's. I love Autobiography. It's a classic (sighs) album. And um, you know, I, I went from blonde to brunette when I, when that album came out. So I totally bought the bait hook, line and sinker. Like I was in. Yeah. And I remember when I was rewatching Ashley's show, um, to talk about it with Troy. And I mean, I watched both newlyweds and Ashley's show when it was on, but then when I watched it back, and I saw the episodes where Jessica would make a little cameo. And I thought, wow, like Jessica is the star. Like she does. Yeah. I mean, well, Jessica was on a rocket ship when yeah. the Ashley Simpson show came out and like was really sort of winding down her marriage at that point. Um, she also just guess- has such a, a presence though, that I think that Ashley, I mean, Ashley was so much younger, but Jessica had honed such a movie star, A-list celebrity personality that, I mean, I don't, she's, she just shined off the screen. I mean, I would feel like I was living in her shadow, you know? I feel like that's a very literal, like autobiographical track. So yeah, I mean, Jessica is, you know, she secured a place in pop culture that is, honestly very impressive considering that she was marketed as being stupid. Yes. Um, And that is like such a unique role she played, I think, because it was even at the time, it was like unflattering to be considered stupid. And you know that we lived so intensely in that culture, right? Right. Like, Like the Paris Hiltons of the world and stuff like that. But still somehow Jessica was dubbed as the kind of dumb one. Um, and I'm, I'm shocked it served her so well, but you know, the number one thing that I think the average American girl took away from the newlywed show was how great Jessica could turn a look and like, her yes, so uniquely of that time, you know, just like the stacked heel, the, um, you know, the Louis Vuitton. I mean, she really blew that bag up. She made that bag iconic. Yeah. I feel like Jessica really doesn't get her due in the grand scheme in hindsight of the early 2000s of how much of a, I think a trendsetter she was even maybe more so than, you know, Paris or, or Nicole Richie or whatever, like it was, Jessica was turning the Lukes. She was always turning Lukes. And also, um, you know, she was a little bit of an antidote to like the Paris Hilton, mm-hmm. whole Richie thing, because she worked hard. She worked really hard. And she was, although she was crass in a very middle school way, she was never 
overtly sexual, which I would say tabloid Jessica was very different from that. Jessica in the tabloids was like this minx. Well, she was sexual napalm, of course. Sexual napalm. (laughs) And I believe it, baby. Um, Can we just say, not to like (laughs) turn the tide here and like take, if I, by the way, if I at any point take over you just tell me to shut the fuck up because <laughs> I can do that accidentally when I'm on a podcast and I'm really passionate. I like go into post mode, but can we talk about the fact that her book is called open book and like <laughs> the other play on words there is really like the Amelia Bedelia definition. Like she's telling yes. you to open the book. Like she is an open book, but also let's start here by just opening the book. Like I, fucking love how perfectly dumb that is. Yes. I mean, I, so when I was reading just like the, the introduction and it really is so just like, Hey friend, sit down, take a load off and let's talk. Like it, she very much like creates, um, a a space, uh, to become very like, Ooh, I don't know if you can hear that uh, bus going by. Um, <laughs> but she, I found myself completely enamored with her within the first couple pages and the first couple pages of 650 pages. It was long. I mean, should we cop to the truth now? Yes, we should. We should, okay. we should come out with it. Um, I didn't finish this book. <laughs> I was virtuous about the first 24 hours and then I said I would come back to it and I did um but it took about a week and then once she kind of sobered up when she met her husband and like there's some stuff I read through all that but like when she sobered up I kind of was like nah I get it like this is where she starts having kids I wasn't really sure what could be of interest except maybe if she outed her dad or if she like um, spoke about that scandal that happened when she posted her daughter in a bikini. But I was, oh, I told Zara, I was like, oh yeah, there's like 15 minutes left that I haven't finished. And then I just opened my audible and there's an hour and 41 minutes left. And I'm unclear on what our billionaire princess has to say during that hour and 41 minutes, but I cannot believe that there's apparently so much um, that I didn't know. Well, so. I yeah, I I was telling you off mic that I hadn't read it before, and you suggested we talk about the book. I was like, perfect, an excuse to read it. I put it off as long as possible so it could be fresh in my mind. I was like, I can tear this out in two days, and then. I was like, oh no, this is 650 pages. And I got to tell you, I think someone could have taken a a red pen to to some of it. I think it could have been a tight 500 pages. Yeah, I agree with that. I almost wondered if it was like a tactic to bury some of the more salacious elements because it was so wordy that I was like, just cut to it. Like, girl, we know, we read the tabloids. Um, There weren't, there was some like 
you know, there was, of course, so many subtle things that only the person who lived this experience could share. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, that many pages for the memoir of a pop star, essentially, and not to just limit her to that, but like, you know, I, I mean, I feel like if Britney Spears wrote an autobiography, it would be like a clean, you know, 250, maybe 325. Well, I mean, I don't know if Britney or any other pop star would um, get into their perspective on the Challenger crash. Oh my God, (laughs) right? Can we kick it off? Like, literally, I could not believe because I had just been, prior to reading this, thinking about like how, you know, I... I never saw the Challenger explosion. That was never a part of my life. Like I was never, I I was a big Punky Brewster fan. So I saw Punky go through it. But, um, and and I remember thinking like, oh wow, that was sort of their 9-11. Like if you grew up at that time, that was your first traumatic incident, which as a millennial, I have to laugh. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean the Challenger's, fucking crazy when you think about it we don't talk about the challenger enough well i like locked in on the challenger of it all because i'm from new hampshire so even though i was not alive for it it was just like such a part of my like elementary school life like you go through the whole challenger part of your uh, curriculum and my fiance is also from new hampshire so he has the same experience but then when we talk to other people they're like what's the challenger (laughs) like they have no idea so yeah like a lot of people are like oh yeah i guess i kind of remember that i'm like oh no i've like no way too many details about it and i've been to the planetarium wow yeah i mean i'm from mass so i don't know if we learned because um it was a part of it i always assumed when we were learning about it that it was partially because half the people on it were teachers. Um, And so I was always like, oh, is this like teacher porn? Like a little bit like fucked up that I was like, you know, but like, you know, it is, it's, I, if I was the teacher, I'd be like, listen, my ass could have been on a spaceship getting (laughs) blown up right now. We all have to watch, but wait, wait, so from New Hampshire, I have to say, I haven't always said the most pleasant things about New Hampshire. So I really hope that no one listening, I'm going to call up my own hypocrisy (laughs) because I can be nice to people from New Hampshire. Um, I have to ask, so did you and your uh, fiance meet post New Hampshire or are you still both living there? Um, We are in LA and we met in LA, um, but we actually, we grew up like, like 20 minutes from each other. Um, we went to the same college. We went to Emerson College, but um, he was four years older, so we never met there. And then we ended up meeting in LA and we're like, well, let's just, let's do this. I mean, we can fly home together. That's adorable. Um, By the way, you guys, that's quarantine for you. Like I had no idea you were in my city. Yeah. (laughs) And I probably never known if I hadn't just asked that question um because we put this over Twitter so wait where are you in LA um East Hollywood uh like a few blocks from the blue Scientology building okay okay I um I lived at like 
Melrose and um, Gramercy for mm. a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that familiar. Yes. Um, I enjoy East Hollywood. It's a wild ride. Um, it is. Yeah. You'll I, never forget your East Hollywood years, baby. Oh, yes. Especially like if uh, we decide to just pick up and move to Big Bear for the rest of the pandemic, which we are considering. Very chic of you. I'm so jealous of the people who have the nerve to like leave their home to drive somewhere else right now because I feel like that would normally be my MO. I'm just like terrified of everything. So sure. <laughs> I haven't been leaving. So if you have it in you, go. Please do it for me. Honestly, we have not left at all. Like of our friends, we have been the most immaculate with the pandemic and then um suddenly we just like had this idea like what if we just go to the mountains no you should you are in the perfect position you're in the perfect position to be that person because you haven't been anywhere so you're safe like that's the other thing is I keep thinking to myself I'm like a carton of eggs and like <laughs> if I go out then like I'll spoil and I sure. and so I've just been like okay I'll just keep staying here um but and I also adopted a cat so I can't oh. leave the cat my dog is always good but yeah I adopted a fat cat at the beginning of quarantine and I can't just leave blue bear here so no, um not. yeah no I you guys should totally go if you can go. Yeah, we started um, emailing people on Craigslist. It seems as though we're mostly just getting um, scam emails back, but you know we're we're gonna explore the option. Considering uh, I think we're in this for the long haul here in in Los Angeles, or even like go on Airbnb and like just like message the host and be like low key how much would it be for you to rent me your place because I was thinking for Airbnb it must be a little bit of a special hell for them because you have to go in and clean for people who you don't know how they dealt with their life like you know they could have antibodies they could not like they could have be infected right now so I feel like if I was an Airbnb renter I would totally rent out to people who came in with like a reasonable bid. Yeah, I think I think there's probably um some options, but I also think if we're going to do it, we got to do it now because I think a lot of people are going to start getting the same idea. Right now everyone's um in their own They're, fairyland of yeah. like this not lasting so much longer and I I don't have rose-colored glasses on. Okay. Yeah, no, dig your heels in, baby. We're here for a minute. I mean, it's it's absurd to me. I know people are, um, especially I'm thinking of all the extroverts I know out there because I they're really, truly experiencing what introverts experience when we have to go out. So, because uh, I've been fine. Like, I am Same. all good. You know, like this is just, I'm an only child. Like I am so used to just like fucking weirding out in my place by myself but um yeah i i feel for for the extroverts and i understand the impulse to like want to go out but um 
it's just not worth it. You know, don't do it, girl. It's not worth it to quote. It, a exactly. <laughs> I wonder, um, I wonder how Jessica is doing in quarantine because I feel like based on the book, she is uh, a classic extrovert um, running from the demons in her head. Whereas I am like, I could stay here all year. Just tell me when it ends and, and I can do it. Yes. You know, what's interesting is I bet both Simpson sisters are extroverts. Yes. I think think so too. Only like, I would say maybe the only introvert in that family, if he even is one is Joe. Yes. I mean, God, the Joe of it all. I (laughs) also the Tina of it all because Tina, Troy and I have talked about this a lot. Like Tina Simpson is the unsung hero of pop star moms. Like yes. no one talks about how Tina Simpson would just push her sleeves up and like go move her daughter's mattress. Didn't matter that they had millions and millions of dollars. Like Tina Simpson is so down as a mom. Like I'm just blown away. Um, and it not sounds, to cut you off. No, no, no. I, well, also in the book, I feel like, yeah, I feel like she doesn't get a ton of credit. Um, like Jessica says how well her mom did with the, with um, her clothing line and how she kind of just like let her run with a lot of it. Um, I feel like Joe is the one who, although he got her career off, I wonder how her career would be different if he was not in charge. You know, it's so funny because I, I forgot where I read it the other day, but it was like a little, oh, it was, um, it was a YouTube video called like Jessica Simpson being like not beaten. It was like being trumped by Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears for her entire career. And it was basically just a mashup of clips from her um, behind the music episode where it was just like, okay, and then Jessica showed up to this situation. And of course, who was in the room, but that same Christina Aguilera from the Disney, like the Mickey Mouse Club. So she was really haunted by those girls. And some random commenter wrote, like, honestly, it's a case of bad management that Jessica (laughs) went through all of this. And I was thinking to myself, fuck, because as much as I always feel like Joe made Jessica happen, um, in this book, it became really apparent that he was his, like, her biggest cheerleader and also sort of in the very beginning, kind of downfall in terms of getting off the ground because there were so many restrictions on, you know, she really believed that Christian music was the only path for her. She only took off with her um, her sample of some R&B songs and pop songs that she had covered, um, almost like karaoke style in a studio. And it was a producer that went from underneath her and sent those demos to the record labels. So like, it was almost despite Joe, she became successful. And yeah, I think that is it. It's so much more apparent when you read the details in the book, because 
one thing that I found really interesting. So I've always thought with these sort of momagers and stuff, not Chris Jenner, Chris Kardashian. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she lived in Los Angeles. She lived amongst people. Yes. Knew about the industry. She was at Chin Chin for lunch with the girls. Like she was in all the old school, like Brentwood, Beverly Hills restaurants, ladies who lunching it up. Like Chris and you, very much. Yeah. And so I feel like if you're just even living in Los Angeles, you have just a much more like inside view to the, to the industry and how things work. And you know, a lot of people that you can reach out to and ask their advice. But with Joe, I, I just thought like, this would essentially be if my dad was like, well, I'm going to be your manager. And then, so they, she meets Nick and Nick's this 25 year old kid. And he's like, oh, this is not how you do things. Like, why are you running Jessica into the ground? And like, you should be doing this instead of this. And I mean, he wasn't, he was just in the industry a little bit longer and he had this awareness of the industry. And Joe seemed so put off by that just from the book. But like, I Yeah, well, I mean, you know, another celebrity that had a similar rise but it went very differently as Beyonce. Yes. Yes. Like Matthew Knowles, to his credit, I mean, he also was working with Beyonce, which really, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, we're not going to sit here and compare Jessica Simpson and Beyonce. Um, but like, you know, um, it, it was a small town operation with Destiny's Child as well. And they also went through a lot of like, you know, untraditional hoops. Like there was even that thing that went around not that long ago of Chris Jenner was doing, I guess, like a, like a closed caption, uh, like a, what do you call it? Um, basic cable, oh. local TV sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had on the show, like, she's like, this is this group from Houston. They're called Destiny's Child. They're going to make it someday. And this was like, even like seven years before they popped off on MTV and like this like 13 year old Beyonce is there with Kelly and whoever the two original girls were like, you know, rest in peace. I don't know who they (laughs) are anymore, but like, you know, those, they were doing sort of like untraditional roots. And we have to remember also, and not to give Joe credit, but this was before there was a standard in the industry for how, you know, creators in small towns got off the ground. Like not everyone could move to Los Angeles. And, you know, that's like why there was such a, you know, amazing group of talent on the Mickey Mouse Club. Because if you look at it, it's everyone from like Ryan Gosling to Carrie Russell to Britney Spears, like on that cast. And so there was really only you know, a few outlets you could bring your child to an open audition back in the day and then have them maybe translate that to mainstream success. Um, It's all like, you know, pre-internet. And I have to say, it's like, it's nice that Joe got her started up. You know, um, he definitely came with the advantage of being a pastor, which means that you have, you know, built-in fans in a sense. But um, yeah, I mean, 
Joe was, you know, this wasn't what he was groomed for. It is strange too, because I don't think it really got brought up in the book, but her dad did manage other people like Ryan Cabrera right. was with them when they were very young. Well, and yeah, he, so he has the other clients. I, I think what it comes down to with them that I couldn't get over the, the, the tinier details that I just said never heard before of how wildly codependent that family is to just such a detriment. Like another thing Joe did that's in the book, he was the one negotiating her divorce settlement with Nick. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. He was smart to bet on his daughter because, like, he also had to negotiate the prenup. Mm. And wasn't it that Joe didn't want a prenup at first? And, like, in the end, it wound up working out for the for the best? Well, actually, no. No, 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 no. Okay, oh, so. Did. Yeah, okay, wait, sorry. So, well, I think, um, if I remember correctly, Nick brought it brought the prenup to her and Joe Jessica was offended because she was you know 20 years old and Joe was like no way so Nick was like fine which is surprising um but then they were go Nick and Nick's lawyer and Joe were going back and forth for months and then finally Jessica was like just give him whatever he wants. I need to be done with this. So she ended up getting a really raw end of the deal. She should have just signed the prenup because, and on what planet would you have your father negotiate a divorce settlement? Like it's not even, it, it shouldn't even be offensive to Joe for her to be like, no, I'd like a lawyer to do this. Well, I think if I had to guess, um, Jessica was so used to not looking at paperwork. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that all of her deals were handled above her head, which some people would view as a downside. I feel like if I had someone I trusted negotiating for me, I would view it as an upside. That stuff is very upsetting. Um, sure. If I was a, you know multi-millionaire pop star and I didn't have to be bothered with sort of the clinical aspects of divorce I would be like yeah you just handle that I'll sign like let me know when like I'll even give you a stamp of my signature I don't even want to be there like I I think that she was just so done um and you know it the whole journey of their marriage and courtship and all of that is absolutely fascinating Um, but when you said right off the bat, like just sort of how, um, they're such a close codependent odd family. Like I have to say that, you know, probably one of the biggest revelations in the book in terms of how the press was concerned was that Jessica was molested as a child by a family friend. Um, and that went on for many years and, um, you know, I feel like that's exactly the type of family that would sort of say, you know what, we're a family, we're close, we're going to deal with this, just us. 
and not yeah. necessarily seek professional help for their daughter that had been through this trauma. And um, that's something I always find very interesting was like sort of how families handle that happening to their child. And it made total sense. Just like, I feel like there's a lot of secrets in that family and yes. that they protect each other um, for better or worse. They protect each other in that very sort of like secrets keep us sick sort of way. Yes. Because um, like we don't even, I mean, I don't think we've ever gotten an official statement about Joe and his teenage boyfriends. Well, um, and she has like one little line when she's talking about her wedding to her current husband and how her dad wanted to bring his young boyfriend and she was just like no she doesn't even call him his boyfriend she just like very clearly alludes to it and then says i wouldn't let him bring him but that that was it but i think he did bring him because I feel like I remember paparazzi photos coming out of like them at this little ranch. I've been to the place where they were married before. It's a San, San Ysidro ranch yes. in Montecito. And I remember being there and being like, oh my God, wait, this is where Jessica Simpson got married. Oh my God, wait, this is where I found out like Joe brought a twink to her wedding. Like, <laughs> Well, okay, then that is so interesting because in in the book like it's truly one line and she says she told him not to bring him but then they don't touch on it again so if i mean i'd have to another twink maybe it was another twink or joe brought him anyway and she just didn't even want to touch on that part in the book yeah because it was weird that when the paparazzi photos came out from Jessica's wedding that Joe had like a younger guy with him, if I remember correctly, and I might not, but I feel like that was like a thing at her wedding that Joe randomly was hanging out a lot as far as people were concerned at the time with this like younger sort of model-esque boy. Well, I mean, just the whole book, I was thinking so many times how much I wanted Jessica to get more mad at her family. Like, I guess it's yeah. at the end of the day, it's the only family she knows and whatever, but there are just so many moments where like another part of her wedding, she reminded her dad a million times, please bring this Bible that you always had. Like when I was a kid, he forgets the, the Bible. And then he like has a, an iPad with his speech on it. And it runs out of batteries, so he has to wing the whole thing. Yeah. Just, like, any step of the way of... He's a mess. He's like a, a mess. mess. Yeah. I mean, the but fact... But I think that she'll always have this... I mean, like, you know, again, not to, like, go back to secrets keep us sick, but, like, there were a lot of aspects of this book just sort of guesstimating about what we feel happened really back then. Um, like a lot of stuff about Ashley I felt was missing. Like I felt like there was yes. this unspoken thing. Troy um, sent me a, a sedan, like a Crazy Days and Nights um, blind after this came out saying that um, basically 
Jessica, the singer, as they referred to her, the A-list singer or whatever on um <laughs> on uh, CDAN, they said that she was going to include some stuff in the book that alluded to other issues in her life, but that it involved her sister and basically like it'd be like the house of cards over there. Well, okay. So when Troy and I were talking about Ashley, I, I'm pretty sure he mentioned that. Um, and when I was reading the book, I was, I had that in mind and I was like, wow, there really is such a miss missing Ashley of it all. Like she has like, she touches on her a little bit when they were kids and how like, you know, they would sleep together and they were really close. And then they, she talks about the time she sees her in Chicago in London and they like rediscover each other. But the only other detail really about Ashley in there is how John Mayer stayed in like her family's sphere because of Ashley and Pete. And I think that's like something, uh, something's there. Dog, like, can we talk? Like that, the John Mayer of it all, like blew my mind. Blew my mind. I would say if I had to assume that something happened, I would say it was probably something like that. But (laughs) see it written on the page was like just beyond a treat. I mean, I have always wondered about that relationship outside of the sexual napalm of it all, because we always heard like in the tabloids that he was responsible for her dying her hair, that that relationship was very up and down. Um, But she really painted him like she went in on him and I think that that was sort of in lieu of like going in on her family like she decided she was going to sacrifice John Mayer because let's you know say like if Jessica was for the first time in her life playing some 3D chess (laughs) (laughs) she really let that she let that happen like she was like okay he's gonna write about me then I'll tell all and she did that a little bit uh, Tony Romo too, which I thought was great. Yeah, I I was glad to like hear some Tony Romo and it he seemed like well, okay. Here I wanna move back a little. This is a question I have for you because this is what I asked myself at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book. Okay. Which was would I be friends with Jessica Simpson like if this person was somehow in my life and in the beginning of the book she's talking about these like amazing parties that her and her current husband throw and like how she goes all out for her friends and in the beginning I was like wow she sounds so fun and like it seems like she has a house that's it's fun to be around I'm sure they were all um some of them were disappointed when she got sober. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I can't decide if it would be more of like a relief based off of how chaotic it sounded. Because um, she didn't even really get into like how severe her issue was just really the day that she decided she was going to quit drinking. But you could feel the chaos in the chapters leading up. Well, so also in the, in the beginning of the book, 
you know, she, she touches on the alcoholism and like the day she got sober is the beginning. And she doesn't even really call herself an alcoholic. And she's like, maybe I'll start drinking again. And at first it's like, okay, it, it doesn't sound so bad. But then when you get to the end and you're like, oh no, she was, she's actually like, sounds like a pretty legit alcoholic. But so I'm sure a lot of her close friends were relieved, but then towards the middle of the book, before I got to the end of how serious an alcoholic she actually is slash was, she sounds like such an annoying friend to deal with her relationship stuff. It sounds like it is just like a constant back and forth of her like doing the absolute wrong things and her friends just begging her to stop and her just doing the complete opposite of what they what they advise her to do like the John Mayer I can't imagine I mean I can't imagine I've had friends like this but just the back and forth of this psychotic person and she just keeps going back and like but I don't know it seems like yeah her her portrayal of John Mayer's made him seem like a very trying individual um without speaking to John Mayer because he didn't write this book but like her portrayal of him made him seem like it filled in a lot of blanks for Mm -hmm. people who were curious about John Mayer around that time um you know I again I also don't know why I'm being so careful with the way I'm talking about John Mayer but um yeah I guess I'm scared sure there's always a part of me that's very about all sorts of things so um yeah I would say that like she seems like a friend who either has friends who stick around because she's a celebrity or she has the friends that stick around for anyone because they are so um just like they're lifers like they're friends that are there for life and so she has like her Casey Cobbs and then she has her hanger-ons but I'm sure it was difficult for the people in between to find a a lifeboat during that time because it it you know it's um it was frustrating to read her back and forth and i can't imagine what the day-to-day must have been like in terms of just hearing about your friend's relationship well she she talked about after casey and she gets like a, a new assistant and the assistant, she's like, she came for money. So like, she wasn't impressed by my lifestyle. And I was definitely annoying her. Like we went on a trip and I kept talking about John and she was like, clearly over it. But I, I I guess at the end of the day, I can't blame her when it gets to the part where her family is, they're all hanging out with him and begging her to get back with him when she's still with Tony. Okay. So yeah, like let's set this up. So like John and her had broken up and around that time he was really like pestering her, but she got together with Tony Romo because she found out that he had a crush on her, her family and his family managed to make it work so that they were both in a room together. And the two of them became this like darling couple, Tony and Jessica. Right. Yes. And then 
she early on into her relationship with Tony established this very toxic situation where she was like, listen, if he ever texts me, I'm going to show you my phone so that you can hold me accountable and make sure I don't text him back. Um, and in doing so, she gave him license to basically control an aspect of her phone. And so her family, um, you know, John never really left the family. He, she paints a picture of him being a very like charming individual. And she, you know, he was like always around, like he would, he texted her once and said like, oh, the shower door at your parents' house is weird or whatever. And she was like, uh -huh, yeah, okay. Um, just sort of like the way you do when you don't want to text someone. But I yeah. think that she was incredibly drawn to him because he kind of had this like impossibly cool image to her. Like she was, her heart was always going to flutter when he texted, even though she was with Tony, even though she knew that John was not the right person for her. And it all culminated in a night where there was supposed to be a family party. She left Texas to go to a family party in California. And when she got there, all of a sudden John was there and there was a family bonfire because John had stayed close to the family at first, just because of John, but then as an extension of Ashley and Pete, because she was with Pete once at this time. And like, also that's very early Twitter. Like yes. all of them were like active on Twitter at that time. <laughs> yes. So John, like in front of this bonfire, basically declares his love for Jessica, like lets her know that he'll always be there for her. He will take care of her. She's the love of his life, blah, blah, blah. So she hears all this, and of course she's very flattered by it, but she goes home to Texas to be with Tony because that's where her heart is right now. And when she's there, he looks at her phone, and John had sent her a text about seeing her in Los Angeles at that bonfire. And he's like, well, what the fuck happened? Like, what you, you were there with John? Um, so unhealthy. Like, that sounds unhealthy, but I almost, I can't blame Tony Romo because sometimes you go into those relationships and someone has set you up to be in a toxic pattern without you realizing it mm -hmm. that happens you know and I think that that was what happened with Tony and Jessica I think that Jessica introduced him to a toxic element at the very beginning of the relationship and it was difficult for him to turn away from it once he started because you know, if you're this guy in like John Mayer, who was like a huge celebrity at the time, especially super relevant, super tabloidy tabloids mattered. It was like cool to be in a tabloid back then. Um, he's texting your girlfriend nonstop and he's hanging out with your girlfriend's family and he's on your brother-in-law's like, you know, Twitter, like Pete's tweeting about him. Ashley's tweeting about him. They all love being with John. So um, it was definitely a um, complicated situation for her. And she told him, like, listen, I was surprised with him. Like, they brought him to me. Um, and that was sort of the end of them because Tony felt like he had been cheated on. Um, and that was all with the aid of her family, too. Like, they didn't intend for Tony Romo to get so hurt, but, like, they didn't realize how careless their actions were in terms of impact on their daughter's life. And when she and Tony broke up, she went to John and was like ready to get back together. 
And he was like, we'll see. Here, listen to this new song I wrote. But <laughs> like, we'll see about us. But I don't know. I mean, her her family just, I mean, especially her parents, just seem like such star fuckers that they, oh gosh, they were just so head over heels for, like, she she gives them such leeway with how they acted with him um, because, well, John was so manipulative and, you know, I don't blame them for being taken with him. And it's like, I don't know. I think they've been in the industry with you side by side for years at this point. Why are they still hanging out with him? Because he plays guitar around the bonfire and, sings them songs like there's such a there seems to be no accountability from her parents of oh yeah maybe we should have put up a boundary here when this guy who you're not with and you're with someone else maybe we should you know not answer when he when he calls or not beg you to be with him but I I understand. Oddly enough, though, I feel like John Mayer is, like, the exception to that rule. Like, I... I, I guess I could see that. <laughs> from the way she wrote and, like, just from, like, what I know of John Mayer, like, he is a very enchanting individual. Most people, um, even if they didn't like him when they were going into meeting him, all of a sudden they're huge John Mayer fans. Like, he is... Um, you know, it, it's always interesting coming from Jessica because you wonder what is her standard. But like when she talks about sort of how witty he was and how engaging he was and how he was always trying to provoke thought from people, um, that is, I think, is very, you know, I'll just say I think that's very true of him. So I definitely, I think that like, yeah, she got caught in that web and I think her family got caught in that web. And you have to remember, that like John is, you know, comes off as this very educated, witty individual. It seems like he can float into a lot of different rooms and do well. Um, just in the fact that he's not just only in Dead and Company, but he's best friends with Andy Cohen and best friends with XYZ celebrity. And he is like kind of all, he, he seems to do well in a lot of rooms. And when you, um, you know, consider the fact that Jessica came up in such a time of like frivolous pop culture history where her parents were probably used to, um, you know, to borrow from your title, like the lay do crowd, like where it's just sort of like, yeah, like there may be a nice person, but it's not someone you would really let into your life. I feel like John Mayer, that is his secret weapon is he is the antidote to being a boring celebrity and his charm and intellect makes him seem otherworldly. Like, I totally understand how both she got caught up in it and the family got caught up in it. And yes, that raises question about, questions about John Mayer. Like, it's not just like, oh, wow, like, he is, must be so dazzling. Like, you know, it's, it's a real skill to be able to um, make it work in any room like that. You know, that's like, you got to question that. A little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, when I first moved to LA, um, my mom and I 
drove across country together and we um, were seeing one of my friends who is in stand-up perform, uh, I think like at the comedy store or something. And we saw her perform and we went to the bathroom and we're like, we hear over the speakers, someone performing in another room and we're like, oh, that's John Mayer. So we walk out and we're like waiting in the, in the hallway. And he had just finished a set when he was like doing a stand-up comedy thing, like around yeah. 2013. And my mom and I like watched just the tail end of his set from, from the hallway or something. And then he came out and it was the weirdest thing where he like came out and he just like stood next to my mom and I in a way that was so odd. Like he, we're like sitting against, standing against the wall. He like comes out and he sees us and he just like leans against the wall for like a little too long where it was almost like, does he want us to talk to him? And yeah, <laughs> my, my mom, my New Hampshire mom was like, oh my God, oh my God. And she was like, but even she, when he, he eventually walked away and it was just us. And she was like, I know you, when we came to LA, you said, if we see any celebrities, I cannot talk to them, but I really feel like he wanted us to talk to him. I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah, think, I'm sure he did. I really think, like, after reading the book and how just so, uh, the way he wanted Jessica to be enamored with him and, like, be this this muse for him, like, it seems like he just really thrives off of people just giving him any sort of attention. It doesn't matter where it's going to come from. If you engage him, he's going to make you feel like a special person. I mean, yeah. Have you ever listened to the way that like Andy Cohen talks about him? He like Andy Cohen, first of all, like totally buys into it. Oh yeah. like an act but Andy's like oh John like oh John 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 like he loves him and and you know I think that that is something that should be more examined that like he has this effect on everyone and no one is quiet about it by the way like no one is like John Mayer made me feel this way. Like, oh, yeah, well, believe it or not, John Mayer made me feel this way. Like, even Katy Perry was like, I can't believe I'm with John Mayer. He makes me feel this way. Like, everyone <laughs> everyone talks about the way John Mayer has, like, impacted them when they talk about meeting him. And, um, you know, I've met John Mayer. Like, I think he's, you know, I think he's great. Um, I, was a, I was a fan of his music before I met him, though, like, genuinely a fan. And I would say that, like, meeting him did not change that. I did not feel under his spell. Um, Someone told me, like, yeah, you're the only person. Because I said, like, you know, oh, I always thought he was hot. But, like, now that I've met him in real life, I'm not interested. And my friend said to me in real life, like, oh, yeah, like, you're the only person who feels that way after meeting him. Like, everyone's so impressed. And I was like, but I've always, I was always a fan of his music. So, 
I, I guess I like, you know, all I had was like room to grow on. Um, and it didn't, it didn't affect me oddly, but I think at that time, John was most used to being hated by people he met, which is why he went on that. Oh, I, I had to deactivate my ego tour. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Yes. So like, he was like, yeah, you know, I had an ego problem. I was addicted to my own ego. And, um, that feels right. Right. Like that feels oh, like, yeah. Oh, okay. like I think John Mayer was a totally addicted to his ego. Who wouldn't be? Um, if you had the opportunity to be this like young, cute guy making moves on the scene, um, no one knew much about you, but everyone knew that on your first album, one of your songs was about Jennifer Love Hewitt. Like you were obviously popping before you even popped off. Um, and like, you know, um, I think that he had this like sort of like brooding mysterious thing. And the fact that he was as intellectually engaging as he was, compared to probably a lot of his contemporaries was very interesting. I also think that, that, you know, part of it is like a little piece of genius, but sure. I also think it's very stylized. Um, even with like his Instagram show, current mood or whatever, I feel like John Mayer always wants us to know, like he's smart, but he's the approachable guy. As <laughs> as opposed to being like the approachable guy who turns out to be smart. Um, and I think that I like the latter for me, I think I would rather approach someone thinking that they're kind of a dumbass who happens to do something that I really enjoy and then be like, Oh wow. Like you're really with it versus like, yeah, your music sounds like you're smart and Oh, okay. You are like, I don't know. It just feels well, like, I feel like that's like Jessica and like, I imagine, I, I wonder what it's like to meet Jessica because I feel like in reading the book, it was, it was like, okay, you would assume that you're totally dumb or whatever, but she seems a lot more with it and self-aware, but yeah, I don't know. John, I'm just- I have never met Jessica or Ashley in like, I think I celebrated my 14th year of living in LA yesterday and I've never ran, I've never ran into either one of them. I've never met either one of them. Like it's, um, a little bizarre because like around the time, like things really started to like happen for me in LA. Um, they were both pretty relevant. Um, and so odds are, is that like, through working red carpet at an event or through, through being someone's plus one at an event, I probably would have met them, but I, they have eluded me my entire time here. Yeah. I feel like they are on a different wavelength in a way, especially Ashley, I guess at this point, she's just, you know, hanging out with the Rosses, uh, doing Thanksgiving, but yeah, they, they just don't seem to be, I don't know, floating around in the same way as, as other people, but I don't but I know. think that's like the Miley factor where I feel like it's great that they have private lives because I feel like, especially Jessica, while there was always like rumors floating around that she was a big drinker, she never like 
was really paparazzied out, super fucked up outside of like coming out of a club drunk during like a certain streak of time. But she was never like that person who was getting sort of like carried out of places. Not Neither was Ashley. Um, and I think that they kind of went the Miley Cyrus route where they really privatized their lives and they just went home and they, you know, in, in Miley speak, like made a club in their home and paid people to protect them. Yeah, I guess that is true because she, Jessica talks about how her home was just a revolving door of her closest friends coming in and out and they just had their parties to themselves and she didn't go out and listen, if, if you're gonna heavily drink, that's the way to do it, baby. There's no need to go to lay do. Well, that's what I'm always saying, right? Like, this was a time, the Ledu time was, like, a time to see and be seen. But I always think that the most interesting stuff is going on in the suburbs. Like, that's, it's going on behind closed doors. Like, the really weird shit you're going to see is behind closed doors. It's why so many, like, stories from inside the club at that time are are fairly mild. And I think it was because people knew they were being watched. So they would, you know, drink a few vodka sodas then and go have their night. But they wouldn't be, like, their, their really sloshed times would be at home. And also, you know, the clubs close at, a, at a, an earlier time than New York City. So you go to the the mansion in the hills and that's when things get really crazy. Right. I mean, or up in Calabasas, like the best, I always love like how celebrities live. Like I'll never forget. Um, or were you a Friday night lights person? Oh yes, 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 yes. So Julie Taylor, um, when I first watched FNL, it was sort of like when Instagram was like really popping off and, um, Julie Taylor posted a photo of herself in her apartment. Um, and it was like, you know, well, I guess it was a house. It was like a studio city rental home. And like, they had one of those big sort of, um, what do you call it? Like, um, and in, it was like a laid in sort of bookcase. It was like one of those sort of Spanish style yes. built in situations. And, um, she had nothing on it. Like there wasn't a photo, there wasn't anything like, and I, I loved it because it it really was honest in a weird way. Like, I don't think she even knew how honest it was where I was like, oh, you really, you're really like, don't, you're living here and you don't have one book on that. You don't have one family photo. Like there's nothing on it. That thing is empty. And you've been living here. Cause when I scroll, scroll back, I see you've been here. You haven't moved recently. Like these celebrities live such, um, in, in such stark comparison from how you would expect in any way from, Oh, their home is much more homey than you would think to fucking Julie is living <laughs> in, a, in a house with no, nothing on the, like bookshelf. Like it was so, it was so, um, profound to me in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that's nice. If you're, if you're not bothered to stuff in an old sweet Valley high or something like in the back of your uh, closet that you, that you brought from 
whatever podunk town you came from, if there's not a single book or photo, you know, don't put it up. No, don't I don't mean, manufacture it. It's vacant because they are vacant. Like they don't exactly. Like, they yeah, it's just like yeah, I, I fucking um, you know, I I wake up, I drink my green juice, I read the script. Um, if I have an audition to drive to that day, I do, I drop off my laundry. I maybe go to a workout class, um, go home, maybe read another script. And if things get crazy, my roommate and I will drive to Menchie's and get a frozen yogurt. <laughs> like, and then they go to bed sober and they wake up and like, so that happens a lot. But then I think that even outside of the Hills, there are a lot of celebrities that live in just sort of like you know, like Toluca Lake, like Studio City, uh, Sherman Oaks, and they probably have a pretty rockin' life if they want, or they live a very, you know, just sort of empty bookshelf kind of life. And I, I would far prefer the type of celebrity who would just be open about their complete vacancy than, um, you know, stuffing up a bookshelf with hunter s thompson and like i i've got the jack kerouac stacked here that's never been cracked open sure i'd i'd much more respect that than manufacturing some sort of depth in their life but don't you feel it's like at the same time why it's so good that celebrity like sort of paparazzi news cycle has died down because i feel, especially reading a book like this, it's so maddening to know that celebrities are out getting shit-faced at their home every night and we're never going to know anything about it. Like they <laughs> are much more private citizens than we give them credit for. I think a lot of times we're like, oh no, leave them alone. Okay. Like they're just trying to live their life. Like <laughs> bitch, they do live their life. Like they live their life most hours of the day and it's behind closed doors and we don't know who these people are. We don't know anything about them. Jessica Simpson is, you know, down at her house eight years ago, getting shit faced with her <laughs> friends talking about a dream in which like, a, I, what was the dream about? Like a pig shot on her? Yes. When she first meets her husband, she says that she had a dream last night about she shit out a pig. Right. And so she was looking up in a dream dictionary when she was drunk, like what that could possibly mean. And he walks in and, you know, we expect the potty humor from our girl. And of she course. Just, like, fully tells this random NFL player that happened to stop by her house that night. Like these people have lives, yo, and we don't know anything about it. Like, come on, where were the cameras then? It, and also the, the night she got sober um, the Halloween of what was it? 2017 where she's dressed up as Willie Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, all the guests come and her husband's like, okay, well it's time to go trick or treating. And she's like, I totally forgot about it. We had rented 20 golf carts to go around the neighborhood trick or treating. And I told him I can't do it. I'm like, wow. To, Forget that 20 golf carts had been rented to go trick-or-treating and to just be like, well, you guys go without me. I mean, that's a life that we know nothing about. Yeah, um, it was, uh, 
it yeah that that whole passage was so sad um because like she and eric decided to go as willie nelson and who did he dress as did he dress as dolly parton like why do i feel like there was a gender swap no no he dressed as another guy there was some like picture in her recording studio of willie nelson and another country star and her husband dressed up it was two guys but i can't remember who it was yeah so they she like woke up to get her makeup done very early and was drinking vodka sodas at like 10 a.m and everyone around her could tell that she was just like on on one she was on one. Oh and yeah then like <laughs> okay jessica simpson dressed in like full realistic photorealistic willie nelson <laughs> barb went in like passed out drunk in her bed awoke to take the one photo with her kids and then couldn't go trick-or-treating and I think like it's such a special image she's provided us with of like her passed out in her Cal King bed with like probably crazy expensive linens on it and just dressed fully as Willie Nelson like one of the most kind of amazing parts of that was what wasn't written which is like when that mute when that uh makeup came off well she does say so she she says that she goes upstairs she tries to pull off the the beard and it's not coming off and she's like oh fuck it and then she's crying and her housekeeper who of course is like a second mother to her. Like everyone on the payroll is a second parent to her. Which and by the way, I will cop to saying that my cleaning lady is like family to me. <laughs> and like, I say that and I know how cringe it is. And I think I have a pass because my mom was a cleaning lady, but, sure. like, but like, no, it's like totally something that only people who pay people say. Um, but yeah, anyway, so her cleaning lady, who's a mom to her, found her. Found her, and she found her crying, and Jessica kind of, like, abandons the thread that this entire time she still is in full Willie Nelson makeup. Like, she she drops, like, the little hint, like, oh, yeah, I couldn't get it off, but then her cleaning lady comes in, and she cries in her arms, and then she passes out. And I just wonder, you know, I, I'm sure that cleaning lady is being paid enough. I'm sure she is. But like, oh, yeah. How, how do you get through Halloween night with your pop star employer dressed up in full <laughs> Willie Nelson garb, crying in your arms, completely hammered since 730 in the morning? Well, like also... <laughs> What's amazing is she's like, I woke up the next day and I knew I needed to make a change. <laughs> I'm not reading. I'm just like, I'm improvising. Um, she's like, um, I told Eric I needed to get sober and he agreed and he was going to do it with me. Um, and it's like, well, yeah. Like if I came home to my fucking husband or I mean, I guess wife like passed out as Willie Nelson <laughs> on the bed and then slept next to her all night as she probably like drunk snored into oblivion. Like I would say that it would probably be an easy choice to decide to get sober with her the next day. Like she well, 
<laughs> there's also like a real missing thread with him in the same way that there is with Ashley. Like she talks more about him, but there's also a whole part in the small passage in the book of her 35th birthday where she like flies all of her best or uh yeah 35th birthday flies all of her girlfriends there flies her parents to some vacation location and she's supposed to get a tummy tuck like two weeks later and the doctor calls her on the trip and is like your liver numbers are so insane you have to stop drinking and I'm not signing off on you doing this surgery and I mean that sounds like a pretty serious alcoholic but through all of the other like alcoholic tidbits that she's dropping throughout the book of her and her glitter cup her drinking at 7 30 in the morning there's never like a moment of her husband being like, hey, Jess, um, maybe you shouldn't be drinking Perrier and Kettle One at this time of day. Like he never seems to really like dive in there. It sounds like he got with her sort of at the peak of her wealth and also the peak of her drinking. Um, because the first few years they were together, he totally stood by that. And historically, the last few years of you drinking are the worst. <laughs> it's what leads to the end. So, um, you know, I think, I don't know. I, I felt, I forget now, because it's been a month or two, and I apologize for, it's probably been more than that. I forget how long ago we, we started quarantine. But it's been a couple months since I've read it. And um, I feel like I remembered her sort of assuring people in some way that seemed credible that Eric had his own money. Yes. Uh, she said there, there's a little, uh, a little anecdote where she mentions that he bought her engagement ring and her mother told her that he bought it and she thought, oh, wow, I just assumed he didn't have any money, but apparently he saved all of his NFL money. But also his parents are like, he went to Yale. His parents sounded like they were um, like Needham, Massachusetts money, which is a very rich town. In Massachusetts and I think there's some sort of like uh I don't know if they were doctors or they I mean, were they were intellectuals Needham is not that I'm from Lexington which if like we're talking like perception of wealth like my mom was a cleaning lady and we lived in Lexington mm-hmm. but like my yeah it's it's wealthy it's like an affluent town but it's not like it's not um you know like Winchester or something right like oh you're fucking loaded for sure um but it did it did sound like yeah i guess there's that i should i sorry to go off on that weird tangent but um <laughs> like my mom and my stepdad uh at the time they're divorced now lived in needham and it was it was livable uh it's just it's just like upper middle class i would yeah. say 
I guess I guess it sounded like he came from maybe more upper middle class. Like they were intellectuals. Um, See, like that's the New England wealth that yeah. we, that you and I know is like. <laughs> That is something that, you know, when you come from New England, you go to school, like yeah. that's your thing. And so you are coming in at a, sort of a different pace in life, I think in some ways, if then if you are Jessica Simpson, who was raised in the Methodist church, and then um, went on to be a pop star, like these are not, those are not learned people. The Simpsons are not right. learned. And so like, I think for Jessica, in any anyone who's outpacing her educationally speaking she's going to build up so it does sound like he had an, a nest egg right yeah she said that uh, throughout the time that he was in the nfl it turned out quote unquote that he had saved that money which i mean i don't really know anything about football um or like where he like i don't know I guess anyone oh, in the wait, NFL has last name again because I can figure that out for you. Um, if he banked even like four million of his time in the NFL, he could live off of that for the rest of his life comfortably, mm-hmm. like without being married to Jessica Simpson. So she must have felt like he brought enough to the table. I mean, that is the issue. Everyone was like, oh, he's an out-of-work NFL player. Like, he's broke. But, like, if you if you have anyone who cares about you in your life and has had exposure to money before the NFL, you're going to save your money. Right. And he, you know, he came from parents who were educated and – seemed pretty with it so I'm sure that that they took care of him and made sure that that was not only saved but invested but it was such an interesting little drop from her to be like oh yeah my mom helped him pick out the engagement ring and she made sure to tell me that he paid for it I was like oh you had no idea what it what his financial standing was before that point, but I guess they were only together for like six months before that happened. Okay. So wait a minute. So Eric Johnson signed signed a seven year, $42 million contract. Oh my God. With the Colorado avalanche, including a $42 million guaranteed an annual average salary of $6 million in 2019 to 2020. Is this a different Eric Johnson? Uh, could it be? I mean, my God, that does seem and like a crazy amount of money. Let me make sure. Okay. Do you know what? Okay, Eric Johnson career. I'm looking on the NFL website now. Eric Johnson. Yeah, Eric... Eric? So I spotted a movie mistake oh. in this part. Ma- Johnson. Eric Maxwell Johnson, yeah. Um, from Needham, Massachusetts. Okay, salary earnings. Let's see. This will have. Um, he's 40 years old now. He's a Virgo. I love that he's a Virgo. 
Um, Eric is also very uh, spiritual. He is very spiritual. I mean, Jessica gets into that a lot in the book. Like he's meditating, he's doing yoga. He, uh, he brought that some sort of spiritual guy over and he uh, cracked Jessica's pelvis and she got pregnant like a week later. Um, yeah. So the first night, I love that the first night they hooked up, um, he, <laughs> he left a note written on a paper towel the next morning saying that he had a commitment with like <laughs> gurus. Like he was going, I think he was going to see Marianne Williams. He was, he was, yeah. I, I guffawed when I read that. And Jessica says, that she said out loud to herself, he's leaving Jessica Simpson to go see Marianne Williamson. I was like, hmm, did you know who Marianne Williamson little was? No, little do we know. I think it was probably, I hope it was sent to press before she wound up running for president. I feel like they would let us know. Yeah. Um, okay, so wait, yeah, no, he's the, wait, I don't know. I can't tell if this is another Eric Johnson or not. He must, no, that's guy's younger. I do want to, why can't I find like what his NFL salary was? Because we, we know that. I mean, <sighs> Eric Johnson is such a, a nothing name. There could be 10 of them in, in the NFL. Well, he's the 49ers. So he okay. played for the 49ers. Um, <laughs> we're such <little> losers <laughs> this is totally how I would be spending my night even if this wasn't on a podcast it would just be like about something else NFL salary 49ers okay, okay I don't know if um the mercury news is a real um trustworthy news source but a 2007 article comes up where it says that uh, he got $2 million for a starting job free agent tight end going from the 49ers to the New Orleans Saints. I mean, listen, if you invest well and we sure. just NFL salary and we also add on that there was probably bonuses, event fees, like all of the different random things you do. Um, if you invest that well, you can live comfortably, especially if you don't. I mean, Eric didn't have any properties or anything. I feel like it was all just sort of living off interest sort of lifestyle for him. Yeah. Which, you know, is definitely a different a different speed than Tony Romo, who I I loved that he had like waterlogged checks for $350,000. <laughs> that he used as bookmarks in his bathroom. Like that is iconic guy who was given too much money, like doesn't know what to do with it. Like literally is just playing football because he enjoys it. Doesn't think about what comes and what goes probably orders wings every night. Like this man was Tony Romo was doing quite well for himself. So oh, yeah. I do well, like that. She oh, yeah. with the football player. Um, and I think it's 
it's okay. As much as people gave her shit that he wasn't like a working NFL player anymore, I think it's okay. So I just found another article, um, yourtango.com. And it says that um, it's talking about their prenup. And it says, Eric is on what you might call a vesting plan. He'll get $500,000 as a wedding present. Then on each anniversary, he'll get $200,000. And if he and Jessica make it to five years of marriage, he'll get an addition an additional $500,000 bonus and a $1 million bonus if they make it to 10 years. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a great, I mean, if anything, she lowballs them. Oh yeah. I mean, for what, uh, yeah. Eric Johnson knows how to turn a million bucks if we can say anything, but (laughs) I will say that, um, you know, that is a pretty, it's a pretty uh, interesting, you know, it's pretty standard prenup. Um, it makes me think of like how Melania, before she moved into the White House, like apparently yes. renegotiating her prenup. And I wonder what that looks like. God, I mean, I hope she got something good out of that because I can't imagine that you it's, it's worth it. <laughs> you know her ass is like $20 million for the first yeah term if there is a second term i want 40 million like yep. she is you know she fucking is stunting on that hoe over there like for sure um but yeah i i think that that's like a really modest and fair prenup if they work out and i think that eric really does genuinely love her um it's hard to say based off of like the little that we know, especially considering that I didn't finish the last hour, <laughs> 42 minutes of this book. Um, but, you know, it seems like they have a really decent partnership and a really sweet partnership. Um, yeah, I think. Nothing, yeah. I don't think he would, um, from what I could tell from just reading a book about their lives together, he doesn't seem like the type of person who would um really try to milk her out of anything um it's just a very modest reasonable prenup and i i i think it was this was like the first guy she was ever with that treated her um as an equal of any kind and yeah i think eric fucks with spirituality in the exact right way yeah where he is like you know he's got some buddhist principles up in what is probably some good christianity that's rooted down there and he is you know into meditation and i think eric knows exactly what he's doing and i don't think he's poorly motivated i i think honestly if he had bad motivation he wouldn't be with her I think that he genuinely is uh charmed by her I think so too I think um I feel like you know what it is I feel like there's a through line with a lot of her relationships is that she's been like the frivolous silly fun person in the relationship and then she's with this guy who's like more serious, more, more intellectual. And all the other men looked at her as like, I'm going to teach you how to be an adult, you dummy. Or like, 
I like your positivity, but only up into a point. He seems like the only one who was genuinely charmed by her and felt that what she brought to the table was equal to what he brought to the table. And I feel like Nick and, and John and even Tony were like, I just don't think that they were as appreciative of her strengths as her husband is. Yeah. I mean, well, in one way or another, like those guys all have a common thread Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's just sort of like universally like unsoothed white male Um, because like, you know, John has his issues that are separate from Nick's that are separate from Tony's, but they all, um, you know, while Tony especially like has youth on his side where he's just like, you know, young and inexperienced, I would say the way that she portrayed both Nick and John was much more sort of sinister. Yes. Um, and that is also, you know, also the part that we always have to consider is that these are all from Jessica's side. And, you know, maybe, maybe her family it does have some weird shit going on over there. Like, you know, maybe she's got some weird shit going on that we haven't heard about yet. Um, I will say outside of sort of her being very empowered while she was super famous and also the fact that she was a big drinker, I've never really heard anything insanely negative about her in terms of a blind item or anything. So I am inclined to believe her in that sense. Yeah, I... Yeah, I've never really heard anything too terrible about her. And also, I don't know, I've I've also never just gotten the sense that there's anything too bad bubbling beneath the surface. I mean, at the end of the day, I always think that whatever anyone presents to you or in a memoir or just in your in a relationship with them, it's always worse than what you see, whatever is behind the scenes, there's something a little bit worse, but I feel like whatever we haven't heard in that memoir, like whatever was left over from the, the Ashley storyline that we didn't hear, I don't think it's too, too much worse. I don't think it's too bad. I think at the end of the day, she seems like a solid, sweet, well-intentioned per person. I agree. And like, um, you know, not to bring it back to the beginning, uh, especially if you don't want to go here, cut me off, but like <laughs> going back to like the newlywed days, um, you know, when the show was on, I always felt like Nick resented her, but like yes. when I go back and watch that now as an adult, that's like not, you know, 21 and in my college dorm, I'm like, oh, he fucking hated her. Oh, yeah. Barely hide it. And, you know, the way that she sort of gives the behind the scenes tea, it unless someone like whispered into her ear all of what us, you know, critics of that show still to this day feel like she nailed exactly what I thought was going on there. I, yes. I was really amazed to to read the behind the scenes stuff because it seems like they had a nice beginning to their relationship and then they 
break up, get back together, and then they get married. By the way, can I tell you? What? I'll never forget 9-11 was what brought them back together. Yes. Because I remember being in, like, my friend Bethany's, like, fun room at her house and us being like, oh, my God, Nick and Jessica got back together. And it was, like, shortly after 9-11, and we were, like, you know, they came out with this article, and it was, like, yeah, 9-11 brought them back together. And we were both just, like, so overjoyed. And my teenage self, like, I guess I was, yeah, I was a senior in high school. I remember looking at my friend being, like, oh, my God, like, I knew – I always wondered who would be like the celebrity affected by 9-11 that wasn't a part of 9-11. And I was so glad it was them. Well, I mean, between 9-11 and the Challenger, Jessica is very affected by small scale um, national events. She's our national disaster queen. (laughs) National disaster should be the name of her next book. I love that, actually. (laughs) I just, I was really taken by the fact that both of these like small but tragic, not small, but tragic events that really did not affect her at all affected her so much. Uh, yeah, totally. And another thing that I don't think people pay enough attention to in terms of her career was the incredible work she did with our soldiers. Oh, Yeah. I she mean, was a USO queen. What is it called? USO? Yes. USO twice. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was such a big part of the book. I couldn't believe how many USO stories of different uh, iterations of her life there were. She went it by just herself. Went on and on. It went on and on, that part of the book. <laughs> it really- I thought we never leave the war zone, honey, the way that that part of the book just went on and on. I was like, God, but you know, respect. She did really, I will say I, I did notice at a certain point, I was like, well, Jessica, I mean, I don't know that we have to keep hammering the, um, the charity work that you've done. Um, but you know, she also, I also, uh, clocked that when she first met her husband and invited him over, she showed him all of her documentary that she filmed with Ken Paves, like the, uh, it was like a documentary it's series. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh, the, um, the price of beauty. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh yeah, our first night I, I, had him watch the entire thing because I wanted him to know me. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if I would have myself played it that way. Uh, Like, Hey, would you like to watch an entire documentary series uh, that she probably had seen a million times at that point, but he, he liked it. So he, well, that's famous people for you. Yeah. Like that is honestly an unfortunate thread throughout famous people culture is there's a certain breed that really want you to watch their work. Mm-hmm. And can we talk? Like, <laughs> I feel like Ken Caves and her must have some out of like court settlement because she did not touch on sort of their iconic friendship that took place on the show, but also their demise. Yeah. I, I was waiting for that. 
and it never came. Because she made those extensions with him. Yes. And I wonder if that was like a legal issue um, that happened because Jessica was so well known for, you know, just like basically her huge impression she left on the beauty industry. I mean, she was really just that bitch um, at the time. And she and Ken, you know, started this business that was basically promising to give girls all around America the curls and volume that Jessica had. And it was like a big rollout for her. It's similar to, I would say, dessert in some ways, but it oh, was supposed yes. to on the show. Dessert, come on. We? Oh my God. I, I remember going to Claire's, buying my dessert, like whipped cream body lotion. And like, as a 13 year old being like, well, I, I wonder who will lick this off of me having like never been in the same room with a boy before, but just like, wow, the promise that this uh, flavored body lotion, I could find my Nick Lachey. You know, I, I respect you because she really sold it to us like that. And do you remember that they wedged it in between the episodes where she was dealing with a potential pregnancy? Yes. So they were just really hoping because they had it all lined up back then because it was different. Like it had to be that the week that Jessica's episode where she shot the dessert campaign, that exact campaign was in 17. It was in Cosmo. Like they, I have to say that the print media slash like tabloid relations slash TV business of yesteryear had it so in sync. Like they they just knew. They were like, okay, the week of April 17th, Jessica's dessert shit is launching. So we're placing an ad. And that's also going to be the week we talk about it in the show. So maybe I'll write an article about her thinking she was pregnant. Like it is, it's, it was lit. It really, I, and I was, I found myself surprised that they, that she never even mentioned it in the book. Not that she would, but I don't know. The the whole time period of her being on Newlyweds did not feel like the juggernaut that it really was, like the way it was presented in the book. No, like not it, at all. It really um, didn't feel that way. So I looked up the extension line. It's called Hairdo by mm. Jessica Benson and Ken Paves. Um, they were on Overstock not that long ago. Um, I just found a website called the Wig Emporium where apparently they're on sale for $42. <gasps> so I'm going to link to that in case you want to include it. Please. Uh, in your notes of any kind or whatever. But yeah, um, th- I mean, you. I had to type Ken's full name, like every letter of his name to find this in Google. And you know that they paid for that to come like, you know, they've paid to bury it. Yeah. I mean, I remember it being such a ubiquitous thing, like the the ads for those extensions in my Cosmo Girl. Like, I remember exactly what they looked like. Like, E! News was all up in there watching Ken like clip some shit to Jessica's head. Like it was all, it was, it was very all encompassing at the time. It really was. And then all of a sudden 
it was gone and there must there must be such a story there that she goes so hard on Nick and John and then Ken is still mentioned and we all know that there was some falling out but there's just not even like an inkling of what In that my tension heart, could have been I want to believe I think that like <laughs> I like mentally deleted that part until we spoke about it again just now <laughs> But I'm going downstairs, by the way, if my audio changes at all. Um, now there's going to be a cat yelling at me. But hi, I see you. Hi. Um, but I feel like um, the Jessica and Ken of it all, I hoped that she was just protecting her gay BFF. Um, but I don't think she was. I don't think so. I think, I think there's something bigger that happened because... Well, there was also like this one moment. It was the only thing that I clocked in the book that I was like, okay, this might, this feels um, innocuous, but also like she's trying to say something. Um, when they were filming that uh, docu-series, she was there with him. And then I forget one other woman that was on her team. I thought it was Casey. I think it was, yeah, I think it was Casey. And she said that the two of them were having an eat, pray, love experience. And they were like really getting into the nitty gritty and like being moved by the experience. And Ken was trying to think, keep things light and positive and like, uh, innocuous and that was the only time it seemed like there was some sort of even negative leaning thing about him like we were trying to have this spiritual experience and he was uh making it more superficial and just like let's that is positive that is shade now that you mention it that's shade it is and it was the only thing that I clocked that seemed uh, seemed like something. But they mu- because they were in a business venture together, there must be some sort of settlement where they cannot talk about each other. Wags, sorry, hold on one second. <laughs> Wags, come here. Um, I live in the San Diego Zoo right now. Not to be weird. I'm like, I'm Jill's there. I live in the San Diego Zoo, but I have an old cat and an old dog um, that I'm trying to prevent from killing each other right now. Oh my um, goodness. But yeah, like, I mean, that makes total sense now that you say it. I didn't even pick up on how that was probably a subtle shade, but it totally is. Like, what if Ken was trying to get like, you know, drunk, he's out in India trying to get Coke for some reason. <laughs> and by the way, that's like the missing, that's the missing link in a lot of these stories. Like, yes, you have to assume there was a lot of cocaine being used at some point. Especially because she also keeps mentioning like a very vague stimulant she was prescribed. Like she never just like comes out and says it's Adderall or whatever. Like she's like, I was prescribed a stimulant. And it's like, okay, well, if you were doing uppers all day and Ambien all night to the 
point where your doctor who was just like a candy man eventually said, I can't give you both, then I'm guessing like there was some Coke in the mix as well. Yeah. I mean, well, I think like that's also sort of what that NT blind alluded to was like, um, oh, like, you know, she couldn't talk about Ashley and her experiences with XYZ because then it would open a whole can of worms. Right. I think that, you know, it's probably, it's just like a well-known rumor that the two of them were like walking around coked out of their mind. But also the uh, sheer amount of drinking that she talks about also makes you think, well, how could someone do all that? Exactly. Especially someone not eating. Well, and, and she keeps saying the stim, the quote unquote stimulant was what kept her alert the entire time to keep drinking as much as she did as like a hundred pound person. I just thought it was so strange that it was just never uh, just called out. Like if you were on Adderall, just say like, why is it this like vague stimulant name? Because I I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if they were like, slightly in tune with the idea that people who have who genuinely have ADD hate the association of Adderall and abuse yeah Uh, but to people with ADD I must say like you have to realize how much that speaks to how much you need Adderall if you don't realize that when half the planet takes it they are on in you know for all intents and purposes speed um, right when you don't need adderall you feel like you're on speed when you take it so you know it could be that she just didn't want to drop that name because i feel like someone like jessica she's on the other side of you know her early th- like you know she's on the other side of like basically when mental illness comes out in women yeah and um she might genuinely need Adderall right, right now and not and not have that reaction that she did when she was younger. But, um, and that's just pure speculation, obviously. But I do know that people are trying to be more protective of Adderall, generally speaking, especially like the whole Caroline Calloway of it all. Like right. I know a lot of people who do not abuse Adderall, are very upset that Caroline says that she got high off of Adderall. Um, but, you know, that that's just the truth. For half the po- more than half the population, when they take Adderall at speed. Um, so maybe at one point it was a stimulant. I don't think that she would even allude to it being a stimulant if she wasn't genuinely prescribed one at the time. Like, it's it would be pretty bold of her to refer to... Um, cocaine as a prescription stimulant (laughs) that would that would be very bold Um, although i assume it was in the mix because when you look at how skinny she got for um uh, what's it called the uh brothers um oh um uh uh, daisy duke uh, uh uh dukes of hazard yes when she got super skinny for Dukes of Hazard, at the time we were in 2006 brain. So we thought, oh my God, she's like really skinny. Like she looks like so toned or whatever. But like looking back, 
she was a rail. Like that oh, wouldn't yeah. even pass as, as, as attractive right now um, based off of how slender she was. And um, that is not just working out in a very restricted diet. That's like anorexia plus a stimulant. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, she, she as she said in the book, um, heating up, slices of turkey with uh, Velveeta and uh, subsisting off that all day. You don't subsist off that um, without a little help. Yeah, I have to, I have to wonder, um, you know, just looking at her, it's like almost like props to her for being able to go beyond meeting the goal of skinny at that time. Um, but it's also, you know, it's scary, like that that's how we, I'm going to send you a picture it's scary that that's how we um you know praised people for showing up at a certain point it's it's crazy she looked rail thin rail thin um, and then to look back at the the photo of her at the chili cook-off um where she's a size four in the um high-waisted jeans and it was like wow she's so huge when you look at that picture today you're, it's like oh no that's a very thin woman yeah, I mean, it, well, first of all, I do think I remember, it's funny that she said a size four, because I think I do remember reporting on that story, and she was a size eight, which is still not big, but um, those were incredibly unflattering mom jeans that she was wearing, and looking back, those pictures are not bad at all, and even the jeans aren't bad at all, but like our society was just so warped. But like, like the skinniness of that era and like how gaunt people really like people to look. It was like heroin chic caught up to the masses at that time. I weighed 93 pounds at 5'8". During that time, I weighed 93 oh my. pounds. Like I thought I was killing it, hunty. And now <laughs> I look at myself and I see like what I just sent you that Jessica Simpson. It, it's uh, legit insane. She's so yeah, small. Bones. And I look at that and I'm like, why, when I was that skinny, no one stopped me on the street and was like, do you need medical attention? Because <laughs> like I, that I was like, I was skin and bones. It was like sickening. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I just like, you know, have to say about that. She's been through hell and back with her body her whole life, like growing up, developing early being like leered at for that, then entering an industry, you know, where I watch the, I think I can, I, I think I'm in love with you video. And I cannot believe that that girl felt like she was chubby and that she had to like overcompensate by like sort of covering up her body with her dance moves. Um, and then I, you know, and she started to get super skinny, you know, right when around newlywed started, which they started so soon after their wedding. Oh yeah. I can't like they really didn't have any time as a a married couple without the show it seemed based on the timeline in the book. Yeah, so like you go from wedding skinny to that and then you do Dukes of Hazard even more skinny, maybe gain a couple pounds back so you can feel like you're in real life. Um but I thought it was so interesting when her book in her book when she said that, you know, she had no problem breaking her alcoholism the second that she realized she was with uh, pregnant with, with Maxwell and that she 
she ate nonstop like while she was pregnant. Oh yeah. She was pregnant because she already had a deal with Weight Watchers. So like she had a plan to lose the weight before she was even like, she was like, fine, I'll gain weight. That'll look great for the Weight Watchers commercial. Yeah. And she says how, uh, with the Weight Watchers, she was like, well, I, I felt good about that because if someone tells me what to do, I can do it. So she, I mean, honestly, I do the same thing. Like I will let myself go if I know like, okay, um, starting, starting, uh, after this thing that I have, then I will uh, clean up my act. Like she had a plan. She was going to enjoy herself for nine months and probably self-medicate with food instead of alcohol. And that, that was the plan. Yeah. I mean, well, it's also, um, you know, so when, I guess I must've either not gotten there or just sort of spaced out when was she due to get the tummy tuck was that after maxwell it was after ace yeah oh god that name is not great um he's a gorgeous boy didn't he just have a birthday i think i saw like um a instagram of him floating around yes days he is like a little boy jessica he is so cute the and Ace is a great name. The middle name is just not working for me. I have questions about Newt. I assume <laughs> it came from Eric. But, um, yeah, like, she, the fact that her liver was that poisoned, like, typically when someone, when a surgeon refuses surgery because of some the state of someone's liver, like, you just need to take a couple weeks off of drinking. And then yeah. you're on the other side of it. So that's an interesting fact. Another sort of, oh, okay, Jessica, sort of moments where you're like, well, you probably could have still gotten this surgery. Well, and she does get it though. Oh, she does? Well, so she, so the surgeon is going to do it. And then her personal doctor finds out about it and calls her while she's on the birthday trip and says, I'm not letting you do this. It's not safe. You're going to die. And then she decides, okay, well, I'm going to wait until the trip's done and, and then we'll, we'll broach this topic then. And her mom, because of Eric, Eric's like, I really don't want her to do this. They said it's not safe. And she her mom is like, please don't do it, Jessica. And then Jessica like lifts up her shirt and says, I need to do it. And her mom goes, okay, we'll do it. So she gets the surgery. It doesn't turn out well. And then two months later, she gets it again and she gets sepsis and she almost has to have a blood transfusion. But then, and they don't even, I don't even think get into this at any point. She has that third kid after she's had a tummy tuck which seems like a terrible idea to me. Wow. I mean, that sounds like, to me, that's what, then that was when I was like, okay, this is all way worse than I even like gave it credit for. Once it gets into the tummy tuck and like, uh, and knowing that she has a third kid after. 
Yeah, the sepsis is concerning. Very concerning. A, a sepsis moment is is not chic, if anyone is familiar with sepsis. Yeah, it's not chic. It doesn't feel good. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, this girl has been through so much. Um, I... I'm interested, you know, talking to you about it is really interesting because there are so many moments that when you and I are both like, huh? Like, I don't know. Like you realize, okay, Jessica, there are some things that could have used a little bit more of an explainer. Yeah. And it makes sense why she didn't share. Um, I totally feel like I understand why she didn't share some of this stuff. Um, Yeah. Yeah, like there are some questions. I the the Ken thing always bothered me, um, but now hearing that, I'm like, huh, that seems like a gentle glossing over of the moment. Yeah, I think there were a lot of. Um, I think she overall with the book, I I enjoyed the read up until you know the last fifty pages where I said, well, you know, I get it. I I don't know that I have to uh buzz through this right now. But yeah. She she goes there with a lot of stuff. Um yes. and she definitely put herself out there and really could have gotten herself into some trouble with some of the people in her life. So I give her that, but I definitely think there 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 are some things that we we did we did not hear the full the full kit and caboodle on. No, I would say like what I came for was the scene of her and Nick arguing in a parking lot because yes. they were afraid that the newlyweds cameras were still on inside the TV, which like, <laughs> honestly, I love that. That is such a special early era of reality TV where the network was like, here, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So we'll just put a camera in your television. (laughs) And people were like, oh yeah, okay. Like, whereas like now we'd be like, are you kidding me? That's the last thing. Like the last thing I want is someone having constant access to me through a screen in my home. Um, Even though we all, we're on Zoom right now, honey. Hi, China. Saying hi. (laughs) Wishing you the best. Um, but yeah, like I came for that and then there were, yeah, there was some things like, I also really enjoyed John Mayer getting her addicted to Xanax because oh, yeah. he was showing up drunk all the time. <laughs> um, which is like a classic addiction story of like, you know, your ex-boyfriend, you know, like it's always like some ex-boyfriend Oh like, yeah, pills under the table and then like. <laughs> And you know, you're like, yeah, so I was a full-blown addict. <laughs> like, I um, am in, hi, welcome to rehab. My name is Jessica. Like, it was, like, very um, interesting how she um, implicated him in that. And I believe it's true. I probably, I believe that she probably wasn't super familiar with um, benzos at that point. But, yeah. oh, wait. One thing, I know we're rounding up. I know we're, like, finishing up, babe. But (laughs) she fucked Johnny Knoxville, and you can never tell me otherwise. I mean, I... How did she? How... 
it it is such a wild thing for her to put so much time into this like this quote-unquote emotional love affair that she had with him and then to to explicitly say like well we never had sex but the emotional part that that was worse because it's like no no did you have sex with him you can keep saying that you didn't but I don't know was it worse that you like texted and emailed each other right she was way too wrapped up in him for it to just be just that I think the only thing that kept her completely divulging that is he was married and I think she has some sort of respect for that and for his kid and she was not going to sell him out on that one and she also, I think, because of who Nick is and how he carries himself in the world with his new marriage with Vanessa Manillo, which, by the way, he absolutely sent her a baby gift and Vanessa Manila didn't know about it. And that was accidentally released during the press tour. <gasps> like, did you, rem- like, do you remember, like, a few months back when he was promoting no. Love is Life? Oh my God, no. Oh my God. Okay. It's iconic. So, okay. So Nick was promoting Love is Blind and he, um, Jessica had said, someone asked her like, oh, has Nick ever um, acknowledged you having kids? And Jessica said, yeah, he and his wife sent a really nice gift after I think baby number two. And like, we really appreciated it. It was so sweet of him to consider us. Okay. (laughs) And then they're on the love is blind press tour, Nick and Vanessa. And like Vanessa is weird about Nick. And like, I would say that like, they're up there with Eddie and Leanne in terms of like people that deserve each other. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so like the reporter, I think it was like at entertainment tonight or something. The reporter was like, and by the way, Nick, like, you know, you're a fan of love. Like, um, we spoke to your ex Jessica Simpson earlier this month when she was promoting her memoir. And she said that, you know, when we asked her if you had reached out to her about the kids, she said that you guys sent her a really nice gift. And Vanessa was like, I'm sorry, what about a nice gift? (laughs) And the reporter was like, Oh, um, Oh, she said that you got you sent her a really nice gift, and, and Vanessa was like, we, "Well, we never sent her a gift." <gasps> and no. Nick, like, oh, I must have been confused about, like, you know, like, oh, that's so strange, like, whatever. So then Jessica put out a statement, being like, "I must have been confused. I am so sorry." Um, oh Nick my never God. sent me a gift, and then like another press came, another press opportunity came up after she clarified that and the interviewer was like so earlier this month um people were confused because they said that like you guys sent jessica a gift after she had the baby and they were like yeah that must have been a mistake i mean she made a statement about that we didn't send her a gift so the first interview you can very much watch in real time as Vanessa Manillo sort of pouts her way through the rest of the interview as she processes that Nick absolutely sent a gift to Jessica 
congratulating her on the birth of her second child with a whole ass new husband after they've had kids, after they lived their life. And like Vanessa is just steaming about it. Like she is not happy, honey. It is, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. Ooh, well, I mean, I love that because I don't know. She deserves Why wouldn't it. You love that. <laughs> you get to see these like fucking and because Nick, um, Nick was so always so jealous of Jessica, and to watch Vanessa be jealous about Nick the way that he was of her, like, is just um, the unhealthy high school relationship dynamics stay in play. They really do, and just after her like coming into the picture after they were separating and like playing the Jessica character in his music video. I'm just like, you know what? You can get that little sting girl. That would You be two like, deserve each other. Totally. That would be like Justin Timberlake, like wifing the chick who played Britney in the river video. Like it's exactly. so weird, but it's also so Nick that he yes. knew his video wouldn't get any play unless he hired a fucking VJ to be his like emotional partner in that thing. Like his romantic partner. Like I he mean, had to hire a VJ. He got Honestly, I I was never a fan of his, but after reading the book, I just think, you know what? You got what you deserved. You had no business dating a virgin that you had to parent and then blame her for not being adult enough to be with you and then get jealous of her when she's more successful. Like, you deserve to... Uh, be on Top Chef Junior with your wife. Dog, truly. And like, you know, the other thing is like watching Newlyweds back and seeing like sort of the buds of like uh, Jessica's relationship with alcohol. Like they were sort of a drink a couple Miller Lights people, like tight until things started to really go off the rails. Like I think her alcoholism for sure was ramped up with that marriage. Well, she wasn't even really drinking ever until he, they were on their vacation to Hawaii. And she says that she looked at him as if he was a father when someone offered her a drink and he was like, yeah, go for it. You're on vacation. And then, yeah, it is kind of spooky when you find out he was like almost 30 and she was like, 20 when they were started dating and not even just like a a jojo and like her older boyfriend or like hayden panettiere and like her many older boyfriends where at least you can look at these women and be like well maybe they're in they're more mature and need an older person but i mean jessica was a virgin at the end of the day, what yeah, a 25-year-old man who's had other relationships, like, to wait around like that, like, to me, there has to be some sort of odd parental controlling situation going on where you're okay with that. He had a total Madonna horror complex, and you could smell it through the screen, mm-hmm. and it 
yeah, it was an issue. Like, cause as soon as they started being sexual together, he had no problem like super sexualizing his wife, especially, for, I mean, for the time in particular, sexualizing his wife on camera. Yeah. It was almost like that was his joy in the show was sexualizing her because he was the only one who could do it. Mm-hmm. And it and was, it, it almost, and he, I was interested in seeing how, like, she describes how they break up the first time and she says how, like, he seems so annoyed with me, but then they get back together, they're planning the wedding, and he also see she picks up that he seems annoyed with her and, like, that she's spending too much money on the wedding, and then they get married and he's annoyed with her. It feels like yeah did he just really want to like after putting in this work he was like well i'm gonna marry her and i'm gonna have sex with her and i'm just gonna follow this to the to the finish line and then drive it into the ground like it just seems so it seems like he never really liked her except for the first few few year or so when he was enamored yeah I mean, being on the other side of that decade from, like, when she got with him, I totally, I totally see. I'm like, girl, he never liked you. Yeah. Like, this was, like, grown-up infatuation with, like, extra emphasis on it because you're both famous. Like, this is literally, it's just a, a... a famous people version of a guy who's trying to get your virginity. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The character Nick was is like, he would absolutely wear that virginity as a cape. Oh yeah. Nick is so old school. Like, you know, his ass like voted for Trump. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, like, um, I feel bad. I'm like, did I take you on a wild goose chase? Did you mean for this podcast? To, we can keep going, by the way. I have nowhere to be. But did I? am I keeping you too long? You, you are not keeping me too long. I mean, listen, have I ever done a two and a half hour podcast? No. But am I loving every second of it? That's yes, what happens. That's the liability of having me on your podcast is like I inadvertently hijack the conversation and make it go on like we're at a fucking 1920 salons sister. Like we are talking and yeah, this is getting deep. So I have to apologize because I think I, I unfortunately I have this effect on people. Now you can see why I did a five hour podcast about the movie Clueless. Well, uh, I was going to ask you when you mentioned that off mic, I was like, well, did, did you guys like watch it in real time? No, we just did. We did it similar to the way that I do similarly to the way that I do my lifetime podcast, which is, um, you know, lots of playing clips as we sort of break down the movie, but then also all sorts of offshoots in which like I spoke for probably 20 or 30 minutes about how I, I think Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss are in a secret relationship based off of a Tumblr that I read. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, things get things can get out of hand sometimes to me. So I apologize to your listeners if this is a new format, but I guess I've just never been, um, 
I've never been considered in the picture that way. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, no apologies necessary. I I have loved this. Um, I mean, the the fireworks are starting in my neighborhood right now. Okay, let's wind it down. I would literally love to come back anytime. Oh, I would love that. I love talking to you. This is so much fun. It, I feel like I'm talking to Troy, where I I have never even seen you in the flesh, and I could talk all night. Um, Troy, that's why Troy is like my, I feel we were um, in the universe's womb at the same time. <laughs> And they were like, let's just make sure these two people come out at the same time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I, um, any, like, I would love for you to come on the Lifetime podcast too. I think that, yeah, you're a really fun and great person. I'm excited for this to go live for people. Um, I would love to talk Lifetime. I mean, I am, I'm kind of a Lifetime queen. Uh, so I would love to do that. And also apologies to your listeners whose um, regularly listening schedule I've hijacked because I <laughs> I do that and I'm sorry. Um, I I think they're gonna love it. Um, I I hope that usually during my shorter podcasts they're like begging for more and I just never give it to them. And this time they get they get the whole thing. Here it is, baby. Happy 4th of July. Okay. Uh, Happy birthday to a very broken country. I hope we all work out. Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm, I mean, low key, I've been um, following you since your Tumblr days. So girl, so sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) But this was so much fun. And can you like tell everyone where to find you, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I am available um, almost every week right now. It's a little bit different during the quarantine, but I'm doing my podcast, Mother May I Sleep With Podcast, that usually runs um, in seasons. And right now we're just sort of doing off the cuff, quote unquote, mini episodes that are also around two and a half hours. Um, they, uh, we talk about lifetime movies. Um, we come at it from a really sort of, uh, humorous approach, I think. And also I obviously take things a little bit too seriously sometimes and get very invested. So we have like sort of, um, you know, we just dissect them and go through them and have a lot of fun doing it. Um, some people are a fan of lifetime movies coming in. Some people, become a fan of Lifetime movies retroactively. So um, give it a listen if you want. We have a lot of great guests. Um, Troy has been on the show a few times, so he would be someone to definitely start with. But um, I always suggest people start with our first episode. Um, that is Ronnie Karam and I covering Jodi Arias, um, Dirty Little Secret. Yes, who, a yeah. classic. She's an innocent woman and I just yes. want to make sure everyone knows she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and um, if you don't like that joke, probably don't come <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> but overall, yeah, no, it's great. We uh, take television for women and we make it kind of uh, fun for everyone. So I love that. Um, well, 
I will say I could restart this entire podcast talking to you about Jodi Arias. <laughs> but, I, but we have to resist, honey. We have to resist. We simply must resist the inclination. Yeah, nevertheless, she persisted. Exactly. And we're persisting into the end of this podcast. Yes, yes. Well, Molly, this was so fun. Uh, thank you oh, so much. Yes, I had so much fun. And um, I would love to not only have you on Lifetime Podcast, but I will come on anytime you want me to have a completely disorganized conversation about pretty much anything with you. Oh, I I'm, I will take you up on that because I feel like we, we really got into the nitty gritty and that's what the listeners are begging for. And once this hellscape is open again for business, let's go get a cocktail. Oh, Oof, I love that. Either I'll still be in Los Angeles or you can like, you know, come to Big Bear. Yeah, I'll drive the eight hours with my fucking <laughs> mentally ill dog and elderly cat and just see what happened. Well, I'll, come on, all of us. That's that's the five sum to remember forever. Exactly. So, um, congratulations on seeing John Mayer at your first comedy show, by the thank way. You, thank you so much. Um, my mom will be thrilled to hear that I immortalized that on the podcast. It's something she remembers fondly. In true New England spirit, tell your mom I said hi. And (laughs) um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Molly. This was so fun. Bye, guys. Bye.